54 years ago uh, today, Westminster Presbyterian Church chartered as a congregation of the Presbytery of Los Angeles. So happy birthday, WPC. Happy birthday. I think we actually have uh, a few folks who were here in the early days. So if you remember worshiping at either the First Neighborhood Community Center or White Oak Elementary, I want you to stand to raise your hand. Stand to raise your hand. You all have been here for a long time. You have seen a lot. You have seen a lot here, and a lot has changed since those those early years, those years of Bob Boss, our founding pastor, as he went door to door introducing himself and inviting folks to be a part of this church. But so much of who we are and so much of what we are about remains the same. It was a, a little over five years ago that I first visited this, this church, and I, I remember walking around the campus and thinking, wow, what a great space. What, 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 a, what a great place. It was encouraging to hear about how the campus was used. I can't remember exactly who it was that was giving me the tour, but I remember they, they shared about all of the programs that were associated specifically with our church, children's and youth programs. Preschool, choir, adult education classes, small groups. And then, in addition to that, there were the groups that were from outside our church that that used this space. AA groups, a Parkinson's support group, a Boy Scout troop, getting ready to go to camp this morning. PEO, that used the campus regularly. But the thing that really got my attention on that first visit was the community outreach room. The community outreach room. If you don't know, uh, it's the whole back upstairs of that corner, actually right in front of the listing bench where you're going to go and visit Nora right after church day. Everybody's going to show up there. Nora, you're going to have too many people to listen to. Um, but, but right on that, that back corner of the church, the, the, the community outreach room, it's, it's, it's right between the youth center and, the, and what we call the art room or the amp room upstairs. And at the time, one of the main uses of that space was a homeless shelter that we used to partner with other faith communities in our community, as well as LSS and Harbor House to provide care for, for those who wrestled with, with homelessness or those who just needed a meal. Then we walked down the hall and we, we turned toward another room and it was locked. It was locked and the person opened the door and there sat a dentist chair. I remember thinking, what church has a dentist chair on campus? How many of you didn't know we had a dentist chair on campus? Well, um, I'll be up there while Nora's in the listening table. I'll be up there doing dentist work. I'm not going to do dentist work for you. But we do have a, a dentist off here, a, a, a dentist office here. That, that office was a part of the Westminster Free Clinic, an organization that was birthed out of a closet of this, this church that now has an impact for all of Ventura County. This church has a long, long legacy of, of giving and serving, whether that's with local organizations here, whether that's at our, our own church here, or whether that's, that's abroad in places like Kenya and in Haiti. When our visioning team sat down a few years ago, we, we knew that we had to capture that. We knew that we had to capture that part of our DNA, that part of our, our, our life together, about how we journey together, that we are a church that, that prioritizes serving others, that we are a church that believes that a part of following after Jesus is sharing God's love with other people. It is serving others. 
So every month or so, our, our social ministry and mission committee, they gather together to talk through ways that we can move our congregation, y'all and me, y'all and me, out of our pews into the world. And every month, our deacons get together to talk through ways that we can serve folks in our community, in our church community, who have need. Our goal, our goal is to give every single person here the opportunity to share God's love through serving, through giving. It's a part of our collective journey. And it's rooted in the the invitation that, that Jesus extends to his followers to be a part of bringing the good news of God's kingdom into the world. One of my, my earliest ingrained memories, church memories from growing up, what was, was sitting around the fire at family camp singing, they will know we are Christians by our love. Anybody know that song? They, they will know we are Christians by our, by our love. And then the second verse of that uh, is, is we will work with each other. We will work side by side. That they will know we are Christians by our love as we work with each other, as we go side by side. And many of the moments that, I have, that have shaped my own personal faith journey have come through sharing God's love through acts of service. Whether that was in a local soup kitchen when I was a little boy, or, or in Mexico, or Malawi as a teenager or adult, or, or even today, both, both here, but I'm going to run from church right after church to go coach baseball. Serving, serving in our community. Something happens when we give. Something happens when we serve. Something happens when we share God's love, whether that is through a ministry of Westminster or whether that is through somewhere else. Something happens in us. Something happens to us. Something happens with our whole community. Now, there are plenty of places in Scripture where Jesus invites his followers to be a part of what he's doing. And one of those most, uh, most direct conversations come out of Matthew chapter 9. Just a few short verses. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the Gospel of John, there's a moment where Jesus is, is, is talking with a, a crowd, some of whom were religious leaders, some of whom were just, just kind of listening in. And, and, and he turns to the Pharisees, those religious leaders, and he, and he says to them, uh, you all are super committed. You're super committed to the laws and the traditions. But you're still not quite, quite getting it. He says, look, look, there are leaders who, who kind of sneak in. They kind of sneak in, and you know what? To be quite direct, they have bad intentions. They're only really out to feed their own egos. They'll, they'll run the moment a wolf comes. But I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself. He gives sacrificially. He puts the sheep above himself. Now this image of the good shepherd comes from the, the Hebrew scriptures. And in, in Numbers 27, Moses is going back and forth with God about who, who's coming next, who's going to lead the people next. And he pleads, take Joshua, son of Nun. 
give him authority so the Lord's people won't be a sheep without a shepherd. And in 1 Kings 22, where a prophet looks out on the people of Israel and, and says, look, they're scattered. These people are scattered right now like sheep without a shepherd. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they, they also warned against false prophets because the shepherds, false shepherds might lead people astray. My uh, childhood dog was an Australian blue healer named Tilly. She was a sheep herder by nature. We hadn't had her for more than a year when we learned that she, she just had to do what she had always done. Actually, she had never really done it, but she had to do what she was bred to do, and that was to herd. That was to herd. We didn't have any sheep in our neighborhood, but we did have plenty of kids riding up and down the street on bikes. And so my dad, after, after a neighbor, after she went after a, a, a neighbor and, and, and kind of nipped at him a little bit and said, you know what you're going to do, David? That's what my dad calls me, David. I said, I said, what, dad? He said, you are going to get on your bike and you're going to ride back and forth over and over and over again until the dog doesn't go after you and try to hurt you. Do you think it worked? No. No, it didn't work. It just made me terrified of dogs when I'm on my bike. I'm still terrified of dogs when I'm on my bike. No, it didn't work because the dog was a sheep herder knew that that was his rule. Of course, Tilly wasn't a shepherd. But it was clear that all she wanted to do was to guide me. To have me, me slow down. To keep me safe. To keep me in line. In our passage this morning, Matthew tells us that Jesus saw the people around them and saw that they were helpless, that they were harassed, he even says, like sheep without a shepherd. And in, in one verse, we learn the characteristics of a good shepherd. Jesus, he walked around teaching in the synagogues. He went from town to town. Verse 35 mirrors the verses that come right before the Sermon on the Mount, which leads us to believe that these were actions that Jesus took often. These were things that he did all the time here in verse 35. Most historians and theologians, they, they believe that, that even though Jesus challenged the religious establishment of his day, he, he was likely in synagogue most weeks. And we're told on more than one occasion that he preached when he showed up to worship. There was a historian in the first century named Josephus, and he estimated that there were about 200 cities or villages around Galilee, with about 15,000 people in each of those locations. They all weren't terribly far apart, and in all likelihood, Jesus didn't necessarily stop at every house of worship in every single town. But if he did, it would have taken him just under four months to do it if he visited two a day. And as he traveled around preaching, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. We're told on more than one occasion that those who heard Jesus preached, that, that they were astonished, amazed by the authority with which he taught. He wasn't like the other teachers, and that had to be exciting, it had to be encouraging, but my guess is... It was also a, a little bit scary. Using kingdom of God language in that setting, 
it would have meant disrupting the status quo. And it really has three, three meanings that continue to be important for us today. First, it means that, that God's kingdom is unfolding wherever Jesus is ruling. So in our day-to-day lives, as we, we interact with one another in our homes, the places we work, in our neighborhoods, our church, when we actively follow Christ, we're bringing God's kingdom into those places. Second, it means that there's this, this sort of dualism where what's happening in front of us, where what we, we see is definitely real, but there's also something else that is at, at work that we can't always see. Augustine described this, this dualism as two acts that were unfolding at the same time on a stage. And thirdly, preaching about the kingdom of God was an invitation in, it, in itself to be a part of what Jesus was doing. So in John 17, as Jesus prays for his, father, for, for his followers, he says, Father, don't take them out of the world. Keep, keep them in the world so they can continue the work of my kingdom. Not yet. Don't take them out yet. But as you sent me into the world, I am sending them. Now, the kingdom of God today looks like the people of God living out the will of God. And while that kingdom has not yet been fully realized, we see glimpses of it as we live into it. So Jesus, he, he traveled from town to town. He, he visits churches. He, he proclaims the kingdom of God was at hand. And he, he also, we read, heals every disease and sickness. Now, Matthew doesn't necessarily say that he went from town to town performing miracles, though that we know he he did do that. He says healing. He says healing. The the Greek word that he uses here for, for healing means to cure, to heal, what we would normally think of to take care of. But it can also mean to serve, to attend to, to even worship. That healing in itself, bringing wholeness and completeness to people, is an act of worship. Now, we might not heal in the same way that Jesus did, though he did tell his disciples that they would do even greater things than he. But we can bring wholeness and health in the name of Jesus. And when we do, it is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. I, I love this thanksgiving tradition here at at westminster of giving meals to families in need in our community so over the last few weeks people here our whole congregation has come together so some of us have given funds toward gift cards so so we could buy a, a gift card that will will be given to a family so they can go shopping for themselves for a thanksgiving dinner our, our preschool and sunday school kids they they decorated these bags our deacons put them together. Our deacons put them together, packed things in them. Our, 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 our women's groups, they, I gotta remember what they're called, a stovetop simmer. Our women's group put together a stovetop simmer so while they're cooking they can, they can smell, they can smell Thanksgiving. This was an act to bring wholeness, to bring completeness to people who have a need. It, it is doing what Jesus asked us to do. It's an act of worship. 
And later in our, our service, we'll be praying over the families that will be receiving these meals. And following the service, you'll have an opportunity to go and sign a card that will go to the families who are receiving them. So first, Jesus gives us this example of the, the good shepherd. I should say Matthew gives us this example of Jesus as the good shepherd. We give and we serve together as we follow that example. And then we see this invitation, an invitation that Jesus extends. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He starts there. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. This is an invitation to, to pay attention to the world around us, to have compassion on what we see in the same way that Jesus had compassion on the people that he saw as he traveled around from town to town. Now, the passage, the passage that Pastor Daryl read earlier from Genesis this morning, um, it, it's kind of an obscure one. It's kind of an obscure one. Uh, some, some highlight that it's the first time in Scripture where the word tithe is used in the Bible. But I want to just take a couple moments to, to focus on the context of what was happening here. And when people mention that it's the first time tithe was used, what we, we typically pull from that is, well, this was a practice that was done, uh, that, that was pulled into the, the, the church world. Abram, he, he had just rescued a lot. And he's talking with kings and leaders. Imagine them gathering around together. Melchizedek, who was both the king of Salem and a priest, he brings out bread and wine. So you've got leaders, they're gathering around, around bread and wine. It's a, it's a party. It's a party. And then Abram, he, he gives Melchizedek a, a tithe of what he had recovered the king and the, the high priest, he says, here, here they are. He shows compassion. But then, then the king of Sodom speaks up and says, hey, I don't need any of the goods. Why don't you keep the goods that you got? But I just want the people. I just want the power. I, I just want, want the people. And, and Abram says, no, I've sworn an oath to God, to the God of Most High. That's where my allegiance lies. I, I, I don't need anything that you're offering. Abram, he's, he's surveying the harvest. He's surveying the harvest. He's looking, he's reading the room, if you will. He's seeing the need. And he gives to Melchizedek to further the work of God. When we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, we are doing the exact same thing. We're, we're surveying the harvest. We're saying, where is their need? Where is their need? And, and how can we bring glimpses of God's kingdom into those places? In Jesus' day, a rabbi uh, could, could only have a limited amount of, of students. It was impossible to really train and teach a group that was too big. Any, any teacher knows that that's, that's, that's true in any type of teaching. So the rabbi would, would actually have to rely on other rabbis to do their job as well. More rabbis simply meant more students. So Jesus doesn't say, the harvest is plentiful, go get straight to work. What does he say? The harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord of the harvest 
to send out workers. In other words, start with prayer. Start with prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest. While reflecting on this passage and and the state of, of, of the current church, Dale Bruner writes this. He says, where there is prayer, there is mission. Where there is prayer, there is mission. It is as simple as that. Where there is little prayer, there is little mission. A creeping death sweeps over the mission of many churches in our time because, quite simply, prayer meetings have ceased. And beneath the death of prayer at a deeper deeper level lies the death of a real belief that only Jesus literally saves people. There's another saying that's often tossed around in churches. You may have heard it before. Pray like it depends on God, but act like it depends on you. Have any of you ever heard heard that that phrase? Pray like it depends on God, but act like it, it depends on you. And in my mind, and I think in Bruner's mind as well, the problem with that statement is we forget to pray. We just act. We just act. I think it's also important that we highlight what or who Jesus invites us to pray for. For the workers. He doesn't say pray for the pastors. He, he doesn't say pray for the experts, although I do appreciate your prayer. Don't, 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 don't stop there. But he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say pray for the pastors, pray for the, 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 the hired people who are supposed to do this work. He says pray for the workers. It is a very, very simple Simple statement. Pray for the workers. He doesn't tell us that there's a need for leaders or for people who look or sound a certain way or have a particular skill set. He says, pray for the workers. People to work a harvest in a field where seeds had already likely been sown. So one of my hopes out of today, out of the series that we're in for for just these few short weeks, is that each of us would make a commitment to, to praying for workers. Praying for those to work the harvest. Just praying for folks. And, and whether that's praying for elders and deacons here, for current elders and deacons, for future elders and deacons, or it's praying for missionaries that you don't know that I don't know. Praying, praying for the workers. It's something we all can do. That's something we all can do. Then, after praying for God to provide workers for the harvest, we recognize that followers of Jesus are sent out into the world as well. We, we didn't read Matthew 10, because we would have been here a lot longer if we did. But in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the twelve to be a part of what he was doing. He invites them to, to walk around, to go town to town, to proclaim the good news of, of God's kingdom, that it was at hand, to bring healing and wholeness, to see the harvest, and to work it. I mentioned it earlier, but our, our goal here at WPC is to find a place for each one of us to serve. And it's not because we want to give you another thing to add to an already busy schedule. That's not why. It's not that we want to give you another reason to stress out about something. That's not why. It's because we believe that a part of following after Jesus is giving and serving. It's using our time, talent, and treasure and saying, God, we want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Take us and use us. 
sometime in the next week or so, you're going to get a, a commitment card from Westminster in the mail, and uh, it's a commitment card for 2023. Now, we wanted to wait until the election mailers stopped, um, but it's about that same size. So when you see it, don't think that it's just an election piece of mail that came in a, a, a little bit late. And we'll begin collecting those cards the Sunday after Thanksgiving. But before we bring those cards in, before you bring those cards in, I'd invite us to think through this passage. How can we be praying for the work? How can we be keeping our eyes open? Or where should we be keeping our eyes open to the harvest, the the work that is in front of us? And how might you be a part of what God is doing through Westminster? The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty to be done around here. There's plenty to be done around the world. But it's, it's not just about filling our committees here. I know all of you sitting on a committee saying, yes, but we need people on our committees. We do, but that's not what it's about. It's, it's not just about putting together programs. It's recognizing that an important part of following Jesus is having the opportunity to be a part of of what God is doing in the world today. It's something we want to encourage and offer everyone here to be a part of. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for 54 years of this church. 54 years of responding to that invitation to serve, to give of ourselves, to bring glimpses of your kingdom into our neighborhoods and into our world. Open our eyes to the ways we can continue to do that today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.